Welcome to the Venture Brothers podcast and a Chag Sameach to all of our fellow Jewish listeners. A happy and sweet new year. I can't believe that we're on episode six already. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. So thanks for joining us. This is the Venture Brothers show. We are the official Venture Brothers podcast of Graphic Policy Radio. We're here because the Venture Brothers show has rich continuity and character arcs that play out over many years. And then when you layer on pop culture, historic references, then all the thematic significance of the story as it grows through time, it's, it's a lot to sift through. So join pop culture and history experts, me, Ilana Levin, and Stephen Adwell. Hello. For our podcast, examining each episode of the hit Adult Swim show. Um, today we're going to be talking about season seven, episode six, The Bellicose Proxy. Its name itself meaning fighting by proxy which is actually a good reminder if you are listening to this podcast this week in New York. Our uh, primary election is Thursday the 13th in order to avoid the Jewish holidays. And you guys better vote because Stephen and I both had to schedule tonight's recording session to make sure that we had enough time to do all of our volunteer shifts first. So this is very important stuff. Indeed. <laughs> um. I also just want to do a quick send off for Burt Reynolds. I guess he just died a couple of days ago and the show has done a number of jokes uh, about him, but also particularly this season being the one in which the movie Sharky's Machine ends up being part of approximately a billion jokes. I didn't want to not remark on his passing. A beloved American actor, a cultural symbol, uh, the, the uh, I believe the only real... Um, famous uh, 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 photo spread which interestingly somebody was trying to use that in one of their stories and it got banned from Facebook even though it's actually not anything to censor there's no genitals in this picture but I think Facebook couldn't just handle that level of sheer masculinity it just had to (laughs) say no this is too much we look it was the mustache it, there's, there's, like there's so much mustache, we 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 wouldn't we couldn't even bring ourselves to look to see if there actually was a penis involved or not. Anyway, so we start this episode. Scary and the monarch fall through a trapdoor um, with our guild of calamitous intent ward, etc. Guys, and they are suddenly in the old city hall subway station, uh, which was one of the very first subway stations in the New York transit system. Opened in 1904 closed in 1945 because it was too small for trains even back then i could tell that's what it was because the station has these really distinctive romanesque revival architecture arcs on each side of the wall and then it also had the very specific brickwork that i recognize Mm -hmm, so the fact that the show went to such detail that i could recognize a location that i've only seen in photographs because the subway stop itself is closed to the public um that's a lot of detail it had the pendant clock in the middle. Uh, yeah. If you are interested, though, you can actually book to see a tour of the station um, through the city transit system um, museum. And also, if you stay long enough on the six train, it does turn around there through the loop um, and you can kind of see it through that way. Yeah. So um, the specific location that they are going to is Guild Strategic Operations which seems to be where the guild does most of its kind of research uh, and training. Um, and we see a number of different, like there's a kind of mm, kind of mini montage, I guess you could call it, um, where we see a number of different um, kind of 
special specialities of the guild. So we see the Blackmail Training Center, which is basically a, a honeypot operation. Uh, apparently, Watch and or Ward, I can never remember which is which, uh, applies every year to be the uh, Seducee, but gets uh, turned down, uh, which I'm pretty sure would be an HR issue anywhere other than the Guild of uh, Calamitous Intent. Uh, and then in the Surgical Alteration Center, we see someone being turned into Dave, Dave Grohl. Grohl. <laughs> uh, the idea that they've replaced Dave Grohl with a uh, Calamitous Intent uh, proxy, very funny, just because he is like the official rock dad of the universe. They, they say no one ever refuses him. He uh, they got a Beatles to play on the record. He got King Diamond on his album, which I think they're talking about. There was a Probot album where he brought in all of these metal legends to play with him. That really does seem to be true. Yeah. Also, when we were looking at all these rooms, um, we were th- I was just thinking about like the location of this being the Guild of Calamitous Intent secret base is under City Hall subway station, which means that it's under City Hall. Um, so, you know, some of these jokes are a little bit hit and miss. The Hypnosis Training Center... Um, I didn't really make me laugh. The like going into the bathroom accidentally didn't make me laugh. Um, I really did like though, the hologram training center, uh, where the, the bloodthirsty animals turn out to be real because this is a deep cut to Harlan Ellison's, um, the illustrated man, uh, where like there's a real life, um, uh, hard light hologram simulation of, I think, like, the Savannah. It's some sort of, like, safari thing. And, like, the system glitches out and, like, the animals are now solid and they just follow their programming and they uh, devour a family. Um, mm. So that one I, like, you know, I liked just because, um, you know, got to my sci-fi uh, history geek side. Um, I like that the Guild Interrogation Hub, which seems to just be a conference room, isn't an acronym where everything else is an acronym. Uh, and of course, like, um, what was it? You know, there's HTC, uh, HTC, you know, just all of these, um, three-letter acronyms. So the reason why, uh, Gary and the Monarch are there is that they want to level up and they're looking to basically, like, do... Uh, well, essentially community service work within the guild. Um, but this is where I kind of got like, to me, you know, even though we'll, we'll talk about what we think of the, you know, episode as a whole uh, later, but like, to me, what I thought was really interesting about this opening section was getting a sense of like, okay, how does the guild actually work as an institution? Um, and here the, the idea that you need to be a big earner to level up, like this immediately made me think of, this is a pyramid scheme. This is, like, how you go up the ranks at, like, Amway or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I think Amway is probably a supervillain organization right. for how it treats people. Um, so, yeah, Pyramid's Beam is a pretty perfect metaphor. Um, and it does sort of uh, kind of render ironic a lot of the monarch's whole sort of... Um, uh, self-confidence issues in terms of guild levels if it's all about just how much money are you bringing into the guild by just ripping off people. Um, so it turns out that the one way that the monarch can uh, level up without having to pay money is sign up for the Big Villains, Little Villains program, 
uh, obviously a reference to uh, Big Brothers Little. Hold little on. brothers. Yeah, Big Brothers Little Brothers and then Big Sisters Little Sisters. Uh, sort of mentoring orphans? Very very community service focused thing that people do for college credit. Right. Uh, yeah, they're really excited that Augustus St. Cloud is their assignee because um, he has been assigned to uh, menace... Billy Quizboy and Pete White, who they are, you know, or who are the like BFFs with the Venture Team, so this is a way for them to menace by proxy, like the name of the episode. Uh, we remember Augusta St. Cloud probably from the maybe no go episode last season, aka the new wave music reference laden episode that I adore. And he's the wealthy pop culture item collector slash spoiled brat slash serious challenging haircut character design problems we'll talk in a little bit about what my issues with the character are but um it's an but it makes sense for them to uh to choose this this plot line since it uh, he, you know i i think that's a reasonable call anyway go ahead right uh the other reason why they're there is so that the monarch can see dr misses the monarch behind a to a glass uh doing an interrogation um, and, you know, to tie the two plot lines together, uh, she's trying to persuade, uh, six, six, four, six to basically become a double agent, or maybe that's a triple agent, um, and inform on the, uh, peril partnership. Uh, and she threatens him with a torture that is really, really gross. Uh, the tub, which is technically based on a real life version form of torture called scafism, Although they apparently trapped you basically in between two boats, like hmm. kind of clamshell of boats. Okay. Uh, and naturally he folds very quickly because like it's super, super gross. Yeah. People have some terrible ideas, but I thank you for your research into <laughs> those terrible ideas. Yeah. Um, so uh, we then cut to the monarch and uh, Gary arriving on the X2 and describing it as, quote-unquote, the house you grew up on. Or he, it's like the house you grew up on. It's eerily familiar, which is just like more, you know, blinking red lights about um, the real uh, Malcolm Fitzcarraldo uh, having been an acquaintance of the Venture Brothers and actually being a Venture Brother. Um, but I, I would also just mention, like, that the X2 is the Venture Brothers' big boat. Yeah. Um, and it, it's also, like, it's, all of this is linked to, you know, what St. Cloud does, which is he just buys shit. Um, so the other thing that he has is Blue Thunder, a uh, hyper-futuristic um, uh, helicopter from the movie of the same name, uh, starring Roy Scheider, uh, who they then like proceed to geek out about, which is again one of those um, you know public and hammer conversations. Um, so this kind also, of like I mean, built- we've Roy yeah. Scheider is one of the stars from you know Jaws, right? Yeah. So which is again a- another running theme of this season. Yeah. Um, and they see Saint Cloud come out. And he disappoints them. Yeah, because they think, you know, because he's got all this cool stuff, he must be cool. 
And, you know, the thing is, like, so much, you know, the voice act, the voice they do for him is just makes your skin crawl. It's so insipid and it's very, like, childish and gross. But so much of the joke about him in this show is about him failing at masculinity. And we'll stumble on some examples of that. I mean, from here, from the start, we see about, you know, his appearance, the way he looks, his voice being childish, him talking about wearing rubber underwear. I mean, frankly, like, I, I, you know, if you're going for a joke about how he's a big infant, I'm not super interested in that. But it actually really more feels like they're making fun of him for failing at masculinity. And I think jokes about people failing at masculinity is really not a funny or interesting line of humor, especially not at this point. Like we've heard it a million times. It's not creative. The joke isn't funny anymore. I think the joke about St. Cloud really should be about how he's a privileged brat. Right. And I thought, you know, part of the problem with this episode is that because it keeps him and Billy separate almost to the end, um, you can't really get that joke because it really works when it's him against Billy, when they're actually facing off. It's about Billy actually being a real fan. Like, he knows all of the trivia. He actually cares about what it means. Like, you know, he's, then, he's done more than just memorize. He's actually thought about it. Yeah, like, and maybe see... I'm sorry, like, and maybe no go. Like, he talks about the importance of the symbols from the Duran Duran music video and the different historic items. And obviously, Pete White being a, a former college DJ, and he is really values the music and the source material. And, and yeah, Cloud is... Cloud is just accumulating these things as objects. Right. And, you know, the the whole thing being like that, you know, um, he, he ends up eating pennies uh, because um, uh, St. Cloud threatens to make New Wave never happen. And he's like, no, that's a bad thing for the development of, like, culture. You know, that would really change our, our culture, um, which is something that St. Cloud would never do because he's sort of a fake fan. He doesn't really... Um, do anything except just buy the most like ostentatiously expensive, like re- um not replicas but like original props and stuff. Like you know he wouldn't just have Thanos's gauntlet. He would have the one that they actually used in the movie. You know he would and he would and he would do that without having actually read any Jim Starlin. Comics. Exactly. Um, I'm, we're try, we're trying to translate this into geek language. <laughs> well, it, um, it starts in geek, it ends in geek. Like I think he yeah. had when in that um, I, I'm thinking of the Spanakopita episode that he shows mm-hmm. up in, um, where like he has like you know Indiana Jones's like golden statue next to the Predator next to it, it's all this like none of it is is curated particularly well. He doesn't really like pay attention to theme or direct like it's not very you see what i'm saying it's like yeah yeah it, it's just done because he's got money um okay so we then skip over to ventec towers where rusty comes in with donuts and a paranoid billy threatens him with a cult gun uh because he's just received a uh declaration of villainous aggression from the guild uh and what i love about this is uh once again um uh, Public and Hammer did not screw around by just doing uh, a lore ipsum. Um, they actually wrote out like a full page of just really weird sounding um, threats and, you know, insofar as your days are numbered kind of thing. 
Yeah, I. They, he actually right before he goes and starts saying yada yada, he says, "Welcome your to, to your demise." That whole thing, getting a welcome to your demise message through a notice, just really made me think of Frisky Dingo and the whole "Welcome to you are doom" postcard mailing that Killface sends to everyone as part of his promotion. Uh, meanwhile, back at the guild. Yes, back at the guild. Uh, Rusty treats the level one guild arching threat saying, oh, like this is nothing. It's level one. He calls up Brock and says, like, this is just something you take an aspirin for. And I, they, they, you cut back to the uh, Dr. And Mrs. The Monarch pressuring 464 to sign a deal. I really like. I really like how she words this to him. She says, look, you're just going to sign an agreement to a quote. Just keep an eye on the peril partnership. You're more like a concerned friend than a spy. And I just thought that framing was so good. Like that's, that's the right way to get a double agent onto your side. Exactly. To make it feel like they're not actually betraying anyone at all. Um, and I just was a little moment of her being so good at her job. Which will contrast to something she messes up later, actually. So then Dr. Z comes in with like a musical da-da-da to play bad cop. But it turns out he's got the wrong room, which is, yeah, because 464 was already ready to sign. So um, instead, they realize that they both have to work together to help him get the girl he loves. It goes into a makeover montage. I swear one of the outfits was like a gray Nero suit with a fez. made me think of Dr. Evil from um stupid movie with austin powers but then he yeah. didn't have a giant pendant i i think there's a specific costume listeners if you know which one it is you tell us he goes through a few different outfits hairdos that include brock samson's own mullet and a really gorgeous pompadour that would be the envy of all the greasers um uh but then he lands on an adam ant suit from his prince charming phase from new wave bringing that back uh and he goes off and is really like he has the little the two red lines on the cheeks that's like literally adam ant's face paint for that costume so if you have any doubts that's how we know that he's dressed up as adam ant um gonna go listen to that album when we're done with the show um uh, whereas dr z and dr mrs the monarch are in the like chanel style plaid pastels women's suits from the movie clueless um, and this is where I was kind of disappointed that it was a, a fantasy sequence. Right there with you. Yeah. Um, just a few like other things that I noticed. Um, part of the reason that Dr. Z got gets the wrong room is that none of the rooms are labeled. Oh, that's which right. Which is kind of, um, you know, it's, it's taking villainy in a particularly kind of useless direction. Um, <laughs> also, uh, you know, I think part of the reason, like, why... Uh, we'll get to it later, but, like, why she kind of loses her temper there is that, um, you know, she's, like, having to deal with Dr. Z and then just, like, all of the kind of juggling and stress. Um, anyway, so then uh, 21 uh, starts going through, you know, back at, at um, uh, St. Cloud's yacht. He's going nuts for St. Cloud's collection, which is, like, you know, absolutely as they're waiting for uh, St. Cloud to change into his costume. And it's like, this is absolutely natural because like Gary is also a super fan. Like that's half the reason why he got into being 
um, a henchman or in why he refused to quit being a henchman is like, he loves the life. He loves the culture around it, both sort of real and fictional. Um, whereas, you know, once again, I don't think St. Cloud particularly remembers or notices half the shit he's got. Yeah. I also think it's one of the reasons why we we like 21 so much. Like, the audience identifies with him because he's has the same obsessions and consumption habits that we do. You know, when, when St. Cloud came out in the helmet with the cloud and lightning through it, it's, you know, the, the, the face part of it is mag- totally in the same style as Magneto's helmet. And I never really considered the excellent sort of illusion face slimming effect that the helmet of the Magneto's helmet has before and I'm gonna have to consider that in future costumes for myself (laughs) I figure it would either really slim you or it would like squeeze you like you know you ever seen like the raw um Pilbury like stuff come out of a tube out of a tube yeah no I don't think our faces are quite quite that malleable but I, I feel like this is what i'm gonna have to do for porum i think like i'm gonna have to have a magneto helmet ready for porum it's gonna happen well, that that is very appropriate i like that thank you thank you saint cloud just comes out he does a simpering voice again uh they ask what his superpowers are and he you know he doesn't and he goes through the various maladies that he has like lupus and fibromyalgia and what hit me when he was list, listing these maladies is like those are illnesses that are vastly predominantly had by women. I, ah. I don't know. I mean, I'm, they, there's men can have them, you know, but like they're again, like those are like, those are quote women's maladies quote. So as it were, so it's another way where I feel like they're saying like the joke is that he's effeminate and bad ah. at being a man. Um, <sighs> is that true for restless leg syndrome? No, restless leg syndrome is usually a side effect of something of taking medications. Ah, um, so, you know, on at the same time, like, it's also true that, like, money is a great superpower. You know, mm-hmm. hint, Iron Man, Batman. Batman. Most of the gadget-based heroes. Um, so they suggest uh, a lightning rifle and cloud bombs. And this is where we get into the whole, like, uh, you know, levels and, again, pyramid schemes. Because, uh, as we learn later, um, he pays in cash for the guild to, like, give him his super weapons. And that seems to be a major way that the guild finances itself is by charging its own members who then go out and rob banks. And oh my God, I just realized why every single Batman villain robs banks. Because mm. that's where the money is? Well, no, because they have to pay off the ruinous debts to like the evil criminal organizations that are actually giving them all their weird shit. Cause it's a you calculator. Don't beca- well, I was going to say, like you don't become condiment king from nowhere like someone you know someone with an engineering degree from a very good school had to work many hours <laughs> to make a functioning condiment gun um yeah i mean there are characters who have that role in the comics universes sometimes yeah. but I, you you see some people who you don't like i don't i you don't think boomerang is really making his boomerangs but like depending yeah. on which story you read he does well right? yeah there's definitely those characters in um I'm forgetting the name of them, but the interesting thing is they're always presented um, as like old dudes, kind of art, you know, almost like Geppetto types. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I never thought of them as like, you know, essentially repo men who are like running this incredible, you know, twenty percent interest, 
you know, compounded, you know, daily kind of scam that you then, you know, that's, that's why everyone is robbing banks when everyone knows that's like the fastest way to get Spider-Man to kick your ass in New York City mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. rob a bank in Midtown. Uh, but, you know, they gotta because the VIG is too high. Uh, anyway, we then go... The whole go, system is fucked, man. Yeah, you know, they're... You know, for, for supposedly a, you know, a labor organization, the Guild of Calamitous Intent is turning out to be very capitalist. Um, so, we then go to Ventec Tower, where Billy is hiding in the toilet, and it turns out that it's a training exercise where um, Brock and Rusty are teaching him to, like... Trust no one, no timeouts, never be standing behind the door you open. Uh, Pete uh, tries and fails to um, uh, stab slash shoot, I mean, just, like, attack Brock from behind. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and it's just, like, more proof that, one, Brock and, uh, like, for all that they kind of react to the superheroing world with this kind of uh, ironic disdain, that they know this shit backwards and forwards. And they, you know, for all that, like, Rusty, you know, we, we sometimes make fun of him for being useless. Um, like, he's he's pretty knowledgeable about this stuff, and he's kind of good at it. I mean, Brock is obviously way better. But just Billy and Pete, man, they're not cut out for this. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've seen across the past couple episodes is how much, like, Rusty is a pro at this. This is all normal to him. It's part of his world. Yeah, um, and, you know, in a parallel, uh, the Monarch and 21 uh, continue their training of St. Cloud, now on a, ten- a rooftop tennis court that I'm guessing is a real tennis court. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't exactly know where it is. Uh, and they're working on uh, St. Cloud's uh, sort of entrances, his, his catchphrase, his evil laugh, using the purple smoke. Um, and I actually like the purple smoke. Um, although his, his really gross catchphrase that is basically an extended condom joke, uh, not super great. Uh, and then we then get the monarch showing him how to laugh. And like, this is clearly a specialty of the monarchs. Like he's not the best planner. He's not the best scientist. He's not the best fighter, but there is no one better at doing a villainous speech and cackling than the monarch. Yeah, that voice actor, God, he was I, 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 just a fabulous job. And that is an, um, just perfect maniacal laugh. Textbook uh, definition. Yeah, so we then briefly cut back to Ventec, uh Towers, where uh, Hank turns out to be part of the Trust Nobody lesson, even though initially it looks like uh, he's not part of the training exercise. Um. And then we go to uh, the uh, the monarch and and Gary and Saint Cloud uh, traveling to Ventec Tower, uh, and if, how are they traveling? Oh man, they're taking the Batmobile. I I think you said it looked like the animated series version, but I actually think it looks like the one from um, the eighty nine. Yeah. No, no, not eighty nine, not my eighty nine. No, no, from the from the from the bad cartoon, from the um, the bad Batman cartoon that was like way old school and low budget. Uh, I should have googled this. I mean, it's definitely not the the you know nineteen sixty six. No, one. no. 
Um, oh, speaking of the animated series, uh, just, you know, for, for 1968. Fans, okay, sorry. There, yes, a 1968 Batman cartoon. Really low budget and not good looking. And I think that that's the Batmobile from it. Okay. Uh, we're going to have to agree to disagree because uh, it looked like the the um, the animated series one to me. And part of the reason might be that um, they are actually coming out with an HD remastered of the whole hmm. of the uh, animated series. Yay! Uh, just seen a little bit of it. It looks gorgeous. Um, so as they're driving... Um, there is this extended penis acronym joke that turns into hazing. And like, it's one of those things where it's kind of rake joke in that initially I was just like, seriously, like this, like a a week after the extended PP on your belt joke, like it's, I don't find this particularly funny. And then I was like, oh, it's just to get St. Cloud to say it over and over again and haze him in an incredibly juvenile way because that's, of course, how the monarch in 21 would haze somebody. Yeah. It's like a joke that is only funny if you're in it, I suppose. Yeah. Um, So, meanwhile, uh, 646 and Dr. Mrs. the Monarch and with the help of Watch and Ward, are hacking into OSI uh, software, um, I guess database or whatever, uh, because apparently OSI never changes their passwords. Um, there's an extended uh, Monarch reference. I assume not Monarch reference, Matrix reference. Yeah. Uh, where they're like pretending that they can see the code. Um, so they find out that uh, Kimberly McManus is working quote unquote daycare. Uh, on level one arches, which is like she surveils and she intervenes and that St. Cloud is the only level one active that day and that he paid in cash for his equipment. Um, and this is where Dr. Mrs. The Monarch hatches a plan, which is. Dr. Mrs. Sets up a treaty violation by approving a stronger lightning rifle than the one they applied for and creating the pretext for Kimberly, the agent he loves to intervene. Um, and this is also where, you know, continuing our discussion from last week, um, she talks about needing to own the label, uh, bad guy that, uh, you know, they are the guild, they are the bad guys, uh, which, you know, is kind of interesting. Like if last week, you know, there was this kind of slightly awkward reference to political correctness. Now we get sort of, uh, you know, reclaiming a slur kind of thing. St. Cloud uh, jumping through Billy's mom's bay window of her uh, lovely Greenwich Village home. Um, And what I love is you have Colonel Gentleman and Rose just beating the crap out of him. And he, you know, he didn't, he thought he could just show up there, menace Billy via his family. And little does he realize that actually the senior citizens are definitely tougher and more badass than he is. I love the line from Rose. Um, I, I was it? I'll beat you until my osteoporosis kicks in, and I just took my Humira because that's the anti-osteoporosis drug everybody uses now. Uh, Blue Thunder helicopter uh, buzzes by Ventec Towers and um, threatens Billy, but misspells "muhahaha" as "muhahaha." Uh, and it, <laughs> what I love about this is it turns out. Rusty recognizes this because only the monarch 
writes his evil laugh that way, which makes complete sense that, like, in all threatening correspondence, you know, because the monarch is at his heart, you know, an aesthetic purist, he would absolutely write out his evil laughter. Like, he's not going to leave that out of the, the ransom note or whatever. And that he's probably critical of the standard spelling of it for not really capturing the way he delivers it. Exactly. So, uh, because they now know that the monarch is involved, this then gets Rusty to decide to get more actively involved. Again, more of this theme of sort of aggression by proxy. So, St. Cloud got his ass handed to him by some senior citizens. Um, so, he needs to put on face makeup to cover up the bruising. Uh, he comes out of the bathroom in a most John Boehner slash Donald Trump orange. And um, he asks how he looks. And we get the second reference to American sportswear designer Michael Kors in this season in which uh, they say, when um, I think uh, the monarch says, it looks like as if Michael Kors worked at the Wonka factory. I, I don't really think Michael Kors is the designer, although he himself wears a lot of spray tan. It was a kind of a non sequitur about that oh, based on the wow. outfit he's wearing. Yeah, he's kind of orange. Yeah, he's a pretty spray tanned guy. But okay, then that, that makes means, sense now. That makes that it's like, well, you look like an orange person who works at an orange person factory. Gotcha. Um, so one thing that um, I wasn't sure about in terms of references, and again, this is one to throw out to our audience, uh, 21 speech about the like different parts of the gun feels like it comes from some movie like it's just such a very specific kind of gun fetishy you know this does this and this does this and this does this mm-hmm. um kind of speech that like i felt like it had to come from somewhere yeah i think you're right i'm not sure and then Sincloud falls down like they, they hand him the gun but he's so weak that he just falls right over when they toss the gun to him Wow, what a brilliant joke. And he says, I landed on my bum bum because, again, he is weak. And I just, did anybody laugh? I didn't laugh. That didn't really get me. So they instead, we now have Rusty takes his, uh, takes Billy and White over to Enzo's for costumes and gives them rental costumes because the first timers need invincible suits to wear to protect them so they don't hurt their little selves, etc. Enzo is super dramatic and actually is funny in this scene. Yeah, I mean, I always love Enzo. He's just like this kind of OTT, um, you know, sort of dual energy kind of character. Uh, so we then go uh, back to Columbus Circle where uh, Kimberly McManus is blocking off, is using basically a big delivery truck to block off what I think think is either broadway or 8th avenue it was kind of hard to tell like i was like i think it's broadway but yeah yeah what i wasn't sure of is like is this southbound looking sorry is this northbound looking north or southbound looking south um i think it's southbound looking south yeah i think it's got to be um uh in which case it's uh probably broadway potentially could be uh central park west um I think we so, are, by the way, the only podcast that you will ever listen to where people are going to address that question. Yes, who are going to care this much about Midtown Manhattan geography because, you know, all of this stuff is real in the Marvel Universe. Uh, so <laughs> Because I used uh, to work there and you're from the Upper West Side. Exactly. <laughs> so. 
Um, so, uh, basic, the OSI, like, kind of men in black, you know, keep the civilians away thing, is that a big truck's engine died, um, and I wasn't sure, like, is the trucker outfit she's wearing, is that a movie reference? Is this another Burt Reynolds thing, or? Oh, wow, good chance of it. I didn't quite catch her outfit. Um, meanwhile, uh, the monarch is complaining about, you know, kids these days, uh, you know, he didn't get the same backup when he was a level one. Uh, <laughs> but I love the big villain, little villain t-shirts that him and, uh, Gary were wearing. I'm going to have to see if I can get one. You can actually this week. They're, ventu- they're doing the t-shirt. They're of the usually week thing. pretty good about that. I'd forgotten that they were doing the t-shirt of the week thing, but basically for folks who don't know, you can get, uh, the, the Venture Brothers show is sending, is selling different t-shirts from, the show uh with each episode they only last for a week i wish i'd remembered that i'm curious what the other weeks would have been but yeah this week you can get the big villains little villains t-shirt so uh 646 and uh dr mrs are watching from across the street uh but dr mrs refuses to enter uh get into the fray until she's drunk all of the nine dollars of her latte which again super new york thing that it's not so much that, like, only New York has overexpensive coffee, but, the, like, I'm not going anywhere until I get every dollar's worth of this because I have to justify the cost to myself. It's a really lovely pedestrian plaza also. So. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, that's that's what you get when you, you know, um, uh, Robert Moses bulldozes a working class <laughs> community and turns it into a playground for the wealthy. Um, so uh, we then see the costumes that they both have. Uh, and this is where I'm going to hand it over to Ilana because uh, this is an area of pop culture that I'm not familiar with. So Pete himself is dressed as Killer Drone. And I feel like that must be a reference to Killer Queen, the song by Queen, which is a fabulous song. Oh, of um, course, Drone Queen. Bee, drone versus right. Queen, you know. I mean, in reality, the Drone Bee is really the least helpful and therefore it's a very silly costume. Uh I think he looks a little bit like if Robin had a bee theme, Robin from Batman. Uh, but he, they joke that he looks like the girl from the Blind Melon video, which is specifically, that means the, the No Rain music video, which was really the one big Blind Melon breakout hit back in the day. You, you've seen the video. The song's actually pretty good. I'm not a huge fan in general. Uh, Billy, however, comes out wearing just as he's like re- borrowed the costume that used to be worn by Delta Boy, who was, I guess, the sidekick for a hero named Venus back in the day. Um, So I immediately got, like, the literary reference, which is, you know, Delta Boy, um, who works with Venus. So it's like, okay, that's Delta of Venus, which is the book by Anais Nin, really a breakthrough in female-written erotic literature of the early 20th century. Your mom probably had it somewhere in the closet, just... I guess. I mean, I don't know. Maybe your parents are super religious, but it feels like most of my friends' parents' moms had that somewhere, like stashed discreetly in a corner. Um, I think maybe it got popular again in the 80s or 90s. It's a good book. Anyway, uh, what I did not quite catch was like, this costume is so specific. They joke that he looks like R2-D2 a little bit, but what it actually is, is a prototype space costume that Northrop Grumman proposed the uh, military world killing firm. Um, and so, yeah, that's a st- spacesuit that they designed. Uh, we got that off of the Reddit for Venture Bros. So thank you very much. When we can't 
find something and it's killing us, we absolutely turn to Reddit. Um, oh, uh, but um, one other thing is there's a great moment in here where uh, St. Cloud is like, oh, you brought your albino. And then Pete finally says, "You nobody owns an albino. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, like the joke is about how, you know, Billy, I'm sorry, about how Augusta St. Cloud, again, thinks that people are things that can be acquired. But it also sort of called out the dehumanization of that other character that's been happening by yeah. the villain. Um, so uh, when the arching actually starts, uh, St. Cloud's gun is a bit stronger than anticipated, uh, smashing up the facade of uh, Ventec Towers. Um, and uh, this is where, uh, also where uh, Rusty and Brock coach Billy on the show. And this is like, you know, where I was starting to get into this a little bit more in that, um, you know, they're, they're really talking about sort of like heroic dialogue from superhero comics. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, sort of saying like, none of this is real. You talk about like, good will always prevail. And he says, does it? And Brock just goes, no, but just do it. And that, I, I think that speaks to like the combination of, nostalgia and cynicism that is the venture brothers which is like they grew up on superhero comics but you know life is not a superhero comic um as they're doing this the monarch and 21 are heckling them like suburban parents again the whole you know living by proxy fighting by proxy uh and they reference uh this is one that like really threw me for a loop lidsville oh i have this Lidsville was a HR, which was a show by Sid and Marty Croft. They made the world's just worst production valued, most bizarre, but like kind of horrific, frankly, really horrific and terrifying if you think about it. Uh, children's shows back in the late 60s. They used a lot of hippie aesthetics, but, um, and they were just ugly, but they were just so freaking ugly. Uh, they did that um, HR Puffin stuff character and the Banana Splits show and Lidsville was one of them. Actually, one of the costumes that Billy Quizboy, I'm sorry, not Billy Quizboy, uh, that, 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 that Gary was admiring that, that um, St. Cloud oh, had in his home was a costume from one of the Sid and Marty Croft shows. I don't remember which, but I know an ugly ass Sid and Marty Croft costume when I see one. So I guess they had the writers had that on the brain that day. Oh, sorry. Just uh, one last thing about Lidsville. Lidsville oh, sure. is a show where there are talking hats. Okay. It doesn't really understand. Know not it's not a lid of drugs. It's a it's a hat. The, every character is a different hat. Gotcha. Uh, I was thinking trash can lid, but um, it's all good. So um, Rusty and Brock, meanwhile, are watching this and wonder if they were this bad at first, and that's like. Again, this whole sort of, you know, living vicariously is that they're like re-experiencing their earliest days in the business, uh, as it were, um, and trying to sort of like, you know, see it with different eyes. Uh, so Kimberly shows up to shut it down. Uh, 646 like kind of reveals himself. Um, and uh, Billy finishes giving his speech about like Darkest Night and Flashlights and uh, basically had, like you know green lantern yeah kind of green lantern but like he clearly hasn't prepared any of this uh saint cloud meanwhile gasses himself with his own smoke bombs 
and they all start laughing. And um, so this is where this is kind of an interesting, like you know, the the two plots uh, colliding because uh, Doctor Mrs. kind of gets pissed off at Kimberly, uh, even though her plan is working. She's like stepping on her own line, so to speak. Well, she doesn't, yeah, because Kimberly doesn't is like, who the hell are you to Doctor Mrs. the Monarch, and that just really uh, challenges her sense of self, right? Hmm. Because she's a big deal now. People should know who she are. Especially another woman in this field of career should know who she is. And especially someone in OSI when, you know, they've just had the summit. Yeah, exactly. So she really takes personal offense at it and almost gets into a fist fight over it. It's interesting because she's been so in control this episode and was really masterful in her machinations. I'm not quite sure what made her lose it here. Yeah, you know, what I kind of liked was that in in terms of you know what it did like why have this is that like the monarch showed up and was like really supportive and reasonable and then like you know kind of fixed the situation um not in a sort of taking over kind of way but just sort of like Uh deflating it slightly and it was like a moment where he was super supportive he was like you know you would have kicked her ass sweetie Mm -hmm. um but then like also kind of you know like don't screw up the thing that you've already fixed. Um, and it was like a rare moment where we saw the monarch, like not be bullshitty about his wife's career. And I was like, okay, this is a new status quo that I could really kind of like, which is that in the sort of a parallel way to rusty, like the monarch kind of has been around this so much. And, you know, would he ultimately care about the status stuff if it didn't, get in the way of him arching Dr. Venture? I don't think so. Like, he used to, you know, even when, like, he seized the Phantom Limb's house, um, you know, by right of conquest and, like, had to live in the superhero, sorry, supervillain gated community, he didn't like it. Like, whereas, you know, the uh, Dr. Mrs. is, like, very much about climbing the corporate ladder and, you know, shattering the glass ceiling and, like, making her presence known. Mm-hmm. Um, so Good I was call. like, okay, this is, this is a more interesting dynamic that I could see like working more long term. Hmm. I think it, that sounds really right. Yeah. I mean, in general, I guess we're not quite, let's finish the episode and then I'll give sure. you feedback. Okay. So after credits, so, go ahead. After credit sequence, we see, uh, Hank and Dean, uh, being told the story of how, uh, you know, Billy's suit saved him from the lightning gun because he was grounded, because he was metal. Uh, and then Pete, uh, basically, good fellow St. Cloud, kicked him in the ribs a whole bunch. Um, and my favorite line of the episode, um, get your shine box, St. Cloud. Um, and it turns out that they all hallucinated it, because they were just all high on laughing gas, uh, and just fell asleep next to each other. But, you know, Brock and Rusty are going to hide the truth, because, you know, they believe in the dream of superherodom. Uh, you should spell out that reference to the Goodfellas. Oh, so there's a famous scene in Goodfellas where uh, Al Farina's character, he gets into a fight with Joe Pesci because I forget which one of them, one of the two of them is very sensitive that he started his career in uh, the mafia by be- like by shining people's shoes. And the thing that like touches off the final like, and ultimately fatal fight between them is one of them says, go get your shine box. So, hence the reference. 
So this episode was actually the first I felt was like a real disappointment. Um, I don't know if it, I, I feel like on one level I was just dealing with the fact that I am really frustrated with the joke of St. Cloud being the joke that I don't think is very funny, you know? Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's an interesting parallel to last week's episode because that was an episode that I think hinges a lot on how people feel about Dermot. So I think maybe how we feel about this episode has to do with the fact that, like, I think we both like Dermot more than St. Cloud. Oh, totally. I mean, but the thing is, I would love if you told me on paper that the Venture Brothers is a character who spoofs fake, who's like a fake fanboy, who's the total child of privilege, who doesn't even get the stuff he's referencing, is a spoiled brat. I'd be like, oh, my God, what a perfect villain. That guy is everything I hate. And yet here he is, and I can't hate him because the joke always comes off like he's being effeminate or something. Yeah. Um, it's weird. Um, and I don't know. Like, he's a very old character. Like, you can see him all the way back in the yard sale episode from season one. Oh, yeah. Um, although he had a very different voice back then. And... Like, the initial concept seems to have been, like, an, um, uh, what's his, oh, shoot. Um, like, there's something about his look, the, the sort of bowl haircut, uh, originally had a cigarette in, um, cigarette holder and kind of overweight that, that I think they just liked. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't know if there's just a huge amount of there there. Like, to me, I think his high point is Spanakopita and the, the Duran Duran episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I don't know if he's got a lot of legs outside those two. I think that they need to write him in a way where it's not about him failing at manhood. So, um, yeah, this was my least favorite episode of the season. Uh, but, you know, there was still some good stuff in it. Uh, I mean, and I think yeah. we'll leave it there. Yep. Looking forward to next week's. The preview looked really good. Um, well, we were talking a little bit about uh, Old Man Potter um, in last week's episode. And I just remember that that voice was actually by J.K. Simmons, which is hell of neat. Anyway, so thanks for joining us. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. Uh, so, so much. And you can find me volunteering at a million and one insurgent democratic campaigns around New York this week. And Stephen, where can folks find you? Uh, they can find me uh, at uh, Twitter um, at Stephen Atwell. Uh, they can find me on uh, WordPress or um, Tumblr at Race for the Iron Throne. And graphic policy, of course, is at graphicpolicy.com. And we leave you with this. Kind of Go. Stuff. Wait, what? I said, count us down so we can do it on time. Count for us down. Oh, my God. This is like our, our, our okay. One, two, three. Go, Go team, team Venture Podcast. What? How? what? How? How did we get it wrong again? Like, you're, you're doing a, at the end. 